Good morning. Welcome. How you guys doing today? Is everybody uh, recovered from the uh, turkey coma? Everybody get enough turkey? Stuffing and all the fixings, visiting with family. It's a great time of year, isn't it? I love that time just sitting around the table and um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, we don't get to see our, our family all that often. So being able just to spend that time, talk with them and and catch up. It's just a really great time. So hopefully you had an opportunity to do that and enjoyed uh, some amazing turkey and all the fixings. It is Advent season. Today is the start of Advent. It's December 1st, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking into the birth of Christ and kind of what has led up to the birth of Christ. And um, it's going to be a great time really encourage you to invite your, your family and friends as we go through this series. We have some invite cards out there. Um, this series is called Believe. We're going to be talking about what we believe, and um, you can invite some family and friends, and then we'll, it'll all kind of culminate at Christmas Eve where we celebrate the birth of Christ. So I think it's going to be a great time. I'm excited to share with you. Well, this story starts out, so we're going to be in the book of Luke today, but our story actually starts out in Genesis. It starts out in the garden where Adam and Eve were. Adam and Eve were created, all things were created, Adam and Eve were created there in the garden, this paradise where God had put them, they had jobs to do, and they were working along, but we all know how the story goes. They were, Eve was tempted, and, and God had built this amazing paradise, but they said, there's this one tree, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But um, the serpent comes along, tempts Eve and, and Adam, and they eat of the tree that they weren't supposed to, and it all spirals downhill from there. And all of us reap those consequences that, that Adam and Eve brought into the world. Sin and death entered the world right then. But our story starts there because it is in the garden that, that God put a, a plan in place that he would restore what was broken in the garden, that he would make all the wrong things right, all the, all the sin and, and suffering and pain and death that entered the world in the garden. God had a plan that he would make all of those wrong things right, that he would heal the, the separation, that he would, would bring back together the gap that was put in place between God and man, sin and death suffering, God would make a way for humanity to be put back into right relationship with our creator. That's where our story really starts today. So for hundreds and hundreds of years after the garden, there was this, this separation, and God came, and, and he chose a chosen people, the Israelites, and he says, through these people, I'm going to bring a Messiah. I'm going to bring the one that can, can make these wrong things right, that can, can bridge the gap of humanity, creator, creation, and creator. And he chooses this people. And for hundreds of years, he protects them and guides them and walks with them. And it's an amazing story as you go through the Old Testament. And we, we get to the New Testament and we see the culmination of God's glorious plan for humanity. To bridge the gap, to, to heal the brokenness, and to bring us to a place where we can actually have a relationship with our creator. The one thing that, that humanity longs for, the, the hole in our hearts that, that can only be filled by our creator, God made a way by sending his son, Jesus Christ. 
And that's where we get to talk about today. We're going to be looking at uh, kind of the lives of the people that God used to bring Jesus into the world. Not all of them. We just picked a few. And uh, it's going to be fun as we look at the stories about really the miracles that, that took place, the supernatural work of God in these people's lives. And really what I want to get at is, what did they have to believe to actually walk this out? What did Mary actually have to believe to, to have the courage, the strength, to walk out what God was going to require of her? What did Joseph have to believe to trust Mary, his virgin wife, who's pregnant with child, what did, what did Joseph have to really believe to take that on, that responsibility? What about the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament? Hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on scene, God goes to Isaiah and says, tell my people that the Messiah will come. He'll be born of a virgin. And Isaiah's like, what's that have to do with anything we're going through right now, God? How am I supposed to say this to your chosen people? I mean, what are they going to think of me? You know, I'm your prophet. I'm supposed to speak for you. That doesn't make any sense. What did Isaiah have to believe to go in front of God's people and say what God wanted him to say? So we're going to look at some of these people's lives, what God did in their lives, and, and one I want to celebrate it, that the miracles that God put in place for Jesus to actually come to this planet, I want us to, to get an idea of, of the extent of which God will go to reveal himself to you and me. And that's amazing stuff. The other thing is we can learn from what these people believed, their belief and the courage and, and what God did in their lives. Because here's, here's what we know. We know that God is alive and active in our lives today. As soon as you put your trust in Jesus Christ, surrendering to him, God the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and me. God is active in our lives today. And we're going to talk about that a little bit too. So um, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. Let's pray before we read God's word for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace that is active in our lives. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And, and it's because of your Holy Spirit that we can open this book and, and understand what it says and, and apply it to our lives. And God, we don't want to just read this book. We want this book to read us today. That your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truths that are here that it would change us, that we would walk out of here a different people than we walked in because we've met with our Creator. Come and do what you want to do in and through our lives. God, I pray that you would use me for your kingdom, for your glory. Give me the words to share, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's really important because God said he would bring the Messiah through the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Praise the Lord for that. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be bo- to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God's word for us today. The first thing I want to kind of pull out of this story we see here with Mary and this angel coming is this. There's two monumental implications of the virgin birth. Now in the program you received as you came in, there's some notes you can follow along with. This is the first fill-in in those notes. Two monumental implications of the virgin birth. Now, there's some things in the Christian faith that we hold with a closed hand. Beliefs or doctrines that we, we hold to, that can't, these are things we will not debate. These are things we believe. Um, this is something we would call orthodoxy or kind of the foundations of the faith, the original beliefs that we get from God's word. And this is one of those, those foundational beliefs, the virgin birth. We serve a supernatural God who can do things that, that we can't explain, that science can't explain, that goes against a lot of the things that we think are laws or things that, that, that shouldn't work. This is one of those beliefs. We believe in the virgin birth, that Jesus was born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, that Mary was His mother, Joseph, was his stepfather. (laughs) You know, we could call it that. But we believe in the virgin birth. Now, there's really some some powerful implications about that kind of belief. And here's just a few of those I want to share with you. The first one is this, is that Jesus was no ordinary man. He was truly God and truly man. At the same time, Jesus was truly God and truly man. Now, what that means for me and you today is this. This means that God would experience the suffering of humanity. That God would go through the suffering of humanity. He would experience loss. He would experience death. He would experience suffering and betrayal. And and eventually, he would be tortured. He would actually experience torture Jesus put on flesh, God put on flesh, and he would experience the emotions and the, the struggles and, and, and all these things. Now, that, that's, that is encouraging and horrifying, both at the same time. 
Because remember, this is God. Jesus was God. So he's experiencing betrayal and suffering and being lied about in different things. God is experiencing these things. Knowing at any moment, he could just scrap it all, humanity, and start over. That is horrifying. That God put on flesh and would walk through the suffering of humanity. That is terrifying. Because he could have at any moment just said, Lord, I'm done. Let's just start over. We did it once. Let's do it again. We won't do it by flood because that was a promise, right? That's terrifying that God would walk through that. But he didn't do that, did he? He walked through it. I mean, almost to the point uh, uh, in the garden when he was, he was praying, the garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying the night before he was betrayed, he he said, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way that this, this cup could be taken from me, take it from me. But not my will, but yours be done, Father. So it's, it's extremely encouraging that Jesus would walk through this. That, that we serve a God, we're in relationship with a God who's not distant from us in our suffering. He doesn't, it's not like he doesn't understand it or hasn't experienced suffering and loss and death and, and all these things that we work through and struggle with. God understands. So it's encouraging. I mean, this means that, that he would endure the temptation from the enemy. Did you know that Jesus was tempted? Jesus went through temptation. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. He offered him all kinds of things. But Jesus was without sin. This means that God, he being truly God and truly man, this means that, that God could fulfill the law that was set in place. God put in place a law that would protect his chosen people, guide his chosen people. It was a law of perfection that no human could live up to because God is perfect. God is holy and God is perfectly just and perfectly righteous in all his ways and all of his thoughts and in all of his motives and in everything he does. And so the law that he puts in place represents who he is. And no human being could live up to this law. And God knew that. So he sent his son Jesus, the God-man, and he could live up to that law. And he fulfilled the law for you and me. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus did what you and I can't do. He lived that perfect life for you and me, and he fulfilled the law that we could not. What an amazing thing. This means, truly God, truly man, this means this was a supernatural exclamation point on the arrival of the Messiah. This was foretold for hundreds and hundreds of years. In a few weeks, we'll talk about Isaiah and how Jesus' birth was foretold. This was a, the virgin birth was a supernatural exclamation point on the Messiah is here. God didn't just send his son. He sent his son through the virgin Mary. And he's saying, this is my son. 
born of a virgin. That is miraculous. That is supernatural. It goes beyond explanation. And this is God. It was his exclamation point saying, this is my son. This means, this means he had the power to stop the crucifixion, but he didn't. That's God. This means God with us, Emmanuel. God came and put on flesh. The second thing, the second implication that the virgin birth has for us is this, is it fulfilled the prophecy given hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. Jesus was the culmination of thousands of years of prophecies and preparations God had set into motion from the garden. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and, sh- and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Think about that. Could you imagine, I've talked about this a little bit already today, but could you imagine being Isaiah and saying that in front of God's people? <laughs> They'd be like, what are you talking about, man? W- what in the world are you talking about? The, ma- the name Emmanuel means God with us, and it indicates the divinity of Jesus. All of this, I mean, all this stuff we're talking about, the prophecies, the virgin birth, and all of these implications are impossible. All of them are impossible. But God can do the impossible. And I think it's important for us to remember that. We serve a God who can do the impossible. We sometimes start to think that God is just some idea. Or God is just some study. Or theological concept. But he's so much more than that. He is real. He is a real man that walked the earth just like you and me. He can do whatever he wants to do and still does. He is supernatural and reaches beyond the constraints of time and and space. We have to remember that. It brings us to our next point as you're following along the notes. There's this. God makes the impossible possible. God makes the impossible possible. I talk to so many Christians today, and it seems like there's a, a large contingency of, of Christianity that are looking for the supernatural or looking for a miracle. I don't think it's wrong to, to look for those things but I'm talking about when people really obsess over over some kind of supernatural type of thing that that they would see or experience in their lives. I I kind of think, and I think to myself, what what, what would be the greatest miracle that we could ever see? Would it be would it be maybe a healing, like like a, a supernatural miraculous healing? of somebody who's sick. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe somebody who actually has a limb grow back or some kind of one of those crazy things we read about in the scriptures that Jesus would do. Is, would that be the greatest miracle? Like, I mean, maybe if they were really searching for that and saw something like that, they would believe. 
I have a question along these lines. What is the greatest miracle God performs today, right now, with you and me? What is the greatest miracle God performs? Salvation. God raises the dead every day. We just have this, we, you want to see a miracle. Look back at your life and see when Christ came into your life. I think they're looking in all the wrong places and for the wrong things. You see, God brings dead people back to life. We just didn't know that we were dead. We're walking around, living our lives apart from Christ, thinking that things are fine, thinking that this is how life is supposed to be, trying to find fulfillment in, in our job or, or in our spouse or in our kids or meaning in this life or what we're supposed to be. And then God steps in and he says, no, 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 no. This is real life. I'm going to breathe real life into you and show you what real life is meant to be. And he brings the dead to life. The Bible says that before Christ came into our lives, we were dead in our sins and our, our trespasses. It doesn't say we were living our lives and we were just fine. We were walkers like the walking dead. We were walkers walking around in decay with sin all over us and, and we weren't really alive. And then Christ breathed life into dead, dry bones and we found what real life is. That's the miracle. If you want to look for a miracle and see the supernatural working of God, look at salvation in your life and go beyond that. After Christ, I don't know about you, but after Christ came into my life, I became a whole different person. It was like night and day. I went from seeking out selfishly anything I could grab for myself, anything I could have for myself, and looking out for number one to trying to to please God then. And anyway, well, what in my life could I do that would, would bring glory to the one who saved me? It was a completely different life. I, I, thought, I finally found fulfillment. I finally found this satisfaction that I've been looking for, this, this thing that, that I've been searching for my entire life. And God began to change me. You want to see a miracle? Pursue Christ and see the sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And as you look back over the years and you say, man, I, I, I'm just so thankful I'm not like I was a year ago. Thank God I'm not struggling with that sin that I was trapped in five years ago. Thank God I'm not who I was 10 years ago. God pulled me out of the muck and mire the habitual sin that drug me down to, to where I didn't even recognize myself. And God saved me. God performs miracles today, and they're right in front of us. That's, that scripture I was talking about is in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The supernatural working, the miraculous working of God in our lives right now, today. This is impossible. That dead men, dead women would be brought to life in Christ. This is impossible. But God does the impossible. He makes the impossible possible. And he did it through the work of Jesus Christ. We need to talk about that. We need to talk about the miraculous work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We go about our, our daily business and, and just get caught up in, in different things and totally take for granted this, this working of God, the Holy Spirit in us, the power of God. Listen, Christian, God lives in you and he is changing you for his glory and his kingdom and for your good. And we nonchalantly just go about our lives glossing over the miraculous work. I'm serious. The miraculous work of change that he does in you and me. What would our lives look like if our conversations stemmed out of those kinds of things? Would our lives look different? Would our relationships look different? What kind of opportunities does this give us? if we actually took into account the supernatural miracles God is working in you and me every day. Sharing about the work of God in our lives and in the lives of the people around us strengthens our faith, gives us courage, and firms up our belief. Let me say that again. Sharing about the work of God in our lives and in the lives of those of the people around us strengthens our faith, gives us courage, and firms up our belief. Testifying to the work of God in our lives, first off, it's biblical. It is biblical. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always, hear this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. That we would all be ready to share with those around us about the hope that we hold on to. The great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. What is that hope? Well, one, that he saved us. We talked about salvation. Two, that he sanctifies us, right? That he is continually changing us and growing us and making us people he's called us to be. And third, that he's coming again one day. Jesus will be back. He said he's coming back. And he's going to make all these wrong things right and the mysteries that we struggle with and the suffering that we've been through. He's going to bring a clarity that we don't understand. We see now dimly, but in him we will see clearly. He's coming back again one day. Let's make our conversations biblical conversations. Man, I love the Buckeyes. It's been fun to watch him, right? And so we go out to lunch with our friends. We're like, man, do you see that guy take his shoe off? Oh, my gosh. Can't believe they take his shoe off, right? Michigan, bleh. <laughs> right? That's the conversation everybody's going to have at lunch today. It's okay. Have that conversation, but add in. You know what? God did something really amazing in my life. There was a time... 
There was a time when I would have cheated, tried anything to, to win, been after everything for myself. But man, after I met Jesus, it, my whole paradigm shifted. And it, now I find fulfillment in things I didn't think would be fulfilling. And now I find joy in, in doing things selflessly as opposed to selfishly. What's God done in your life? What, what would our conversations look like? Telling others about what God has done is a great way to share the gospel, that we would keep our conversations Christ-centered. We tend to overlook the miracles in our everyday lives. And here's what happens. If we don't point them out, if we don't make a big deal about what God is doing, if we don't make a big deal about what God is doing, we will get overrun with the mundane. It'll just lap over and lap over and lap over. And the very supernatural, miraculous work that God is doing in you and me will just be taken for granted and forgotten about. Now, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to share what God is doing. Why? Because it glorifies Him. We're not out tooting our own horn. We're not out making much of ourselves. We're out making much of God and what God has done in our lives. And it glorifies him. And that's what we were created for. Don't let it go. Don't just gloss over it. Make much of the work of God in our lives today. It it. It pushes us and motivates us towards worship. Have you ever, have you ever had one of those conversations? I, I love it. I love having those kinds of conversations. We can, we can be talking about Baker Mayfield and the Browns and all these other things. And, and those are fun conversations. But when that conversation shifts... And we start talking about what God's done in our lives and we start pointing out the, the miraculous work that God's doing in our lives and in the, in the lives of Christians around the world. We talk, you know, have you ever had that, that shift in conversation where you find out that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iraq? You're like, what? What? That Jesus is actually appearing in person to Muslims in dreams. And Muslims that, that followed Allah and all this other stuff and never, never really paid any attention to Jesus. Jesus shows up to them in a dream and says, I'm your savior, you need to come to me. And they give their lives to Jesus. Or, or what about like the, the church in China, you know, conversation shifts. And you're like, did you know that one of the fastest growing churches in the world is, is in China? And and they're underground and they have to hide. They meet at like two or three in the morning. They're so persecuted. But it's one of the fastest growing churches. Did you see that video of when they opened up the box of Bibles and they're all just weeping because they actually get a Bible? Man, isn't that encouraging? That the church is growing, that God is working miracles in the lives of people? When our conversations shift to give God the glory and recognize his supernatural work in our lives, it changes us. It changes us. Don't overlook the miracles that God is doing. Let's make much of Jesus. Let's make, make much of his work in our lives and give him 
all the glory and honor and praise. You know, as we do these things, it will fuel our worship. It will fuel our our coming together on Sunday mornings and singing our praises to God. I really think that our Sunday morning worship is a reflection of our Monday through Saturday worship. Number three, the last fill-in in your notes today is this. We are called to be surrendered servants. You know, as we read this story in, in looking at Mary, Mary trusted the Lord and surrendered her will to his. Now, I'm not a lady, so I, I don't understand this fully, but ladies, what would you say if an angel appeared to you and said, hey, you're, you're going to be pregnant? Would you freak out? Now, I'm not a lady, but I would freak out if I were a lady and an angel appeared to me and I was a virgin betrothed to be married to a man, especially back in this time, where if you weren't a virgin, you weren't getting married. You were out. I mean, could you imagine that kind of statement? Oh, and, and by the way, God loves you so much, you're going to be pregnant. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's great. I'll be an outcast in society. I will be maybe even stoned for, for having intercourse outside of marriage. Great. Thanks. I, I'm so glad I found favor with God. Seriously, this, this was the, the implications of the virgin birth for Mary. I'm going to go tell my dad now. <laughs> Woo! Hey, guess what, dad? An angel came to me. I don't you know. I'm pregnant. Really? I'm serious. These are, this, is rea- this was real life. This was life or death for her. But what does she say? I li- your will be done. I am s- your servant. Lord, hmm. that, this, is, this is cool. Like the Greek word she uses there for servant is actually doula. And that means female slave. I am a slave to your will, God. I give up my rights I give up my future. I give up my dreams. I am your slave. Do with me as you will. Wow. That's what it means to be a surrendered servant. Man, we struggle with this one in America. Because, man, we have our rights, right? We know our rights. First Amendment, Second Amendment. I'm an American. You know, we have freedom. I have freedom. It is my freedom. These are my rights, and nobody can take my rights from me. Right? That's kind of where we're at. Thank God for our rights. But here's here's a truth, a reality, a kingdom, a God's kingdom reality we recognize in this story of Mary. When I surrender my life to Christ, I give up my rights. I surrender my rights to Christ. And I say, I am your slave, Lord. Do with me as you will. Now, God's not coming to you saying that you're a virgin and you're going to be pregnant. 
He's coming to you and he's saying, you're mine now. Your tomorrow is mine. Your dreams are mine. Your future is mine. Your spouse is mine. Your kids are mine. Your bank accounts are mine. You are mine. And the Bible says that God is a jealous God. And it's not some sinful jealousy. It's a righteous jealousy, a pure jealousy. And as he takes you into the family of God, he he says, all of you is mine. You know why? Because he he wants all of us because he knows that all of us needs to be in him. And if we try and hold on to whatever part it may be, maybe it's our spouse, maybe it's our kids, maybe it's our retirement, maybe it's our our job or whatever it may be, and we're holding on to that thing, no, 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 God, you can have all this other stuff, but, but this one thing, this one's mine, this one's mine. That's not what a slave does. That's not a, a surrendered servant. We try and hold on to these things, and God says, no, no, no. Give it to me. Give it to me. And and here's the reality. He knows. He knows that, that if we would hold on to even the smallest thing in our lives, if we took on the responsibility of the smallest thing in our lives, it would crush us into nothing because we weren't created to bear that kind of weight. Only God, only God can bear that kind of weight. So it's not out of some lording over me, then I'm going to take all the joy out of your life, I'm going to take your freedoms from you, and I'm going to lord it over you, and and I'm going to demand everything of you. No, that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it because he says, I love you. I love you. And you're walking around with all of these things on your back and the weight of the world on your back and the weight of your spouse on your back and the weight of your kids on your back and the weight of your future on your back. And he says, no, me, I can carry that weight. I can take that from you. And I can give you life and life to the fullness in me. Trust me. Trust me with that thing. Trust me with this. I can bear the weight. I can bear the responsibility. Trust me. Walk with me. And as we surrender, as we become surrendered servants to God Almighty, we find freedom in slavery. We find freedom in relationship with divinity. We find freedom in a God who's active in our lives and walks with us through the deepest of valleys and the highest of mountains because he loves you, because he loves us. Mary understood what it means to be a surrendered servant. The Bible says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I think sometimes we... We, we forget about this part of our relationship with Christ, this, this 
calling this, I appeal to you brothers. Live your lives as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? Mary believed God would send the Messiah. Mary believed the prophecies and teachings about what God would do through this coming Messiah, that he would send his only son. She knew there would be those who questioned, doubt, and accused her. She understood the suffering she would endure, but she submitted to the will of God. Belief is a powerful thing. We are raised to believe in ourselves, right? Believe in yourself. You can do it. Just put your mind to it. You can do anything you put your mind to. Practice makes perfect. You can be perfect. Dream it. If you can dream it, you can do it. I dreamed and dreamed and dreamed that I would be 6'9 and play in the NBA. And I dreamed, I still dream it. I'm like LeBron James, throwing down from the free throw line, dropping dimes from half court. And I'm 5'10 almost. <laughs> and I go out to play basketball at the court and I hurt my back and I hurt my knees and he blocks my shot, right? We need more self-esteem. No, 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 no. We need more God esteem. We need to take ourselves out of the center of this whole thing called life and put God in the center and, and allow him to, to be creator. Allow him to be most powerful. It's a lie. Put God on the throne. Respect God and run after him. What do we believe? We tend to think this life is our own. But when we surrender to Christ, we become slaves. We give up our rights and surrender as servants to the king. You may be here today and, and you've, you've got your life under control, right? You got this box over here. It's your finances. You got this box right here. It's your wife or husband. You got this box over here. It's your kids. You got this box over here. It's your job. This box over here is God. This box over here is your Christian friends. This box over here is Facebook. It's, it's all a facade. It's all fake. You may think you have control over all of these things. You may think you're holding your kids in this box. You may think you're holding your spouse in this box. You may think, I just want to tell you, it is all fake. The only one who has control over all these things is God. And the more you try and wrap your mind and your head around it and take control of it, the more mess you're going to see in it. What do we believe? Do I believe that God has control of these things? Do I believe that God really wants what's best for me? It may feel like God's coming into your life and saying, hey, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to be pregnant. Maybe he's calling you to the mission field. 
Maybe he's calling you to use your gifts right here, right now at Mission View Church to serve in some way. Maybe it's in the children's church. Maybe it's on the Greek. God is calling you out of your comfort zone, your, your little boxes that you've been playing in. And it feels, it may, I know it's not a virgin birth, but maybe it feels that way. He's, he has your best in mind. He knows what is best for you. And, and quite honestly, we just think we know better than God sometimes. We, we need to get to that point, just like Mary, and say, do with me what you will. I am your slave. I surrender my rights. I surrender my future. God, have your way in me. It's amazing to see what God's done. So many, there's so many things we could pull out of this story that's just so life-changing and things to celebrate this Advent season. I hope you've been encouraged as we've kind of looked at this, this short story about Mary. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about Joseph, right? The guy, you know, think about this one, the guy who's supposed to marry, he's been betrothed, and in that time, you're already married. If you're betrothed, you're considered married in this time. He finds out that his, his fiance is pregnant, right? Wow, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. But it's, <laughs> it's the Lord's. That's what she says. To, it's the Lord's, right? Oh, man. So we're going to talk through kind of the story of Joseph next week, and, and then it, this, I think it's going to be really good. But let's, let's be a church that trusts God, that hands over our rights, that focuses on what he's doing here in our lives, in our midst. Talk about those things, giving glory and praise to him for those things. And let's see what God does with that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, as we look at this supernatural, miraculous story of how Jesus came to be, the implications of the virgin birth, what that means for us today, and what that means uh, about you, what it tells us about you, God. Father, as we take this time in Advent season to prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus who made a way for us, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the, the amazing things that you have done, the amazing things that you did in Jesus, and the amazing things that you're even doing now in our lives, that we would be a worshipful church, that we would be a people who are in awe of what you do. That we would be a worshiping people that give you all the praise and glory and honor. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do this work like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.